0: Good morning again, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to the uh, letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the first letter, chapter 7, we'll be reading from there shortly. Over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been talking uh, about divorce and about marriage uh, as it is there in Corinth and as it often is with us as well. Uh, Corinth is a, a good mirror to look into even into our own age, to see many of the same things uh, that we have to deal with. And uh, I want to leave that first slide up there just as a reminder. uh, This is how we've begun every lesson uh, on this particular section. And I want us to remember uh, these points. Uh, This is the ideas of marriage and divorce are suffering in our day and age from much twisting and much perversion. Uh, we cannot do that and we cannot allow that to happen apart from the Word of God because this is the first covenant that God gave between Himself and humanity and it's, and it's so, so precious. And we need to remember what His intent always is, as a hopeful reminder, uh, but also as a very sobering one. And just like I said there in Corinth when we see what's going on with them, we can also notice that not a lot has changed. Uh, if we've noticed anything, it's that this is still a, uh, a very difficult topic, a very difficult idea, a very difficult covenant, honestly, because of our human nature. And we need to read this First Corinthian letter, understanding that, what they were dealing with, and what they had as challenges before them, and we have to understand it too, because living a life is tough enough. It really is. Life in itself, and its in our daily rigors, and our daily walk, um, uh, the regimen in our lives, everything that we have to do and accomplish, uh, both personally and spiritually, and, and it's just a difficult thing to do. And we have daily struggles, and it's already difficult enough to maintain. Our faith, and I think all of us would admit that, by just those things rather than compounding them with a, a misapplication or a misunderstanding of what the Lord teaches about something as important as marriage and divorce. And I, as we read there in the first Corinthian letter, we can see why. I mean, I grew up with Christians telling me, you know, Joe, always marry another Christian. And, and I could understand that i I spent most of my life thinking that was actually in the scriptures <laughs> I thought there was a I thought there was a, a verse in the scriptures that say you know where Paul said Christians only marry other Christians you know and I thought that's great advice and it really is I didn't see any fewer divorces among Christians than I did among people that I lived around and grew up around unfortunately uh, it doesn't make one immune. Uh, to a bad marriage or to a divorce just by marrying another Christian. But of course, uh, it, it does, like I said, life is tough enough. And I think this was a well intentioned, um, tendency of brethren over the generations to try to ease that as much as possible. And I, I certainly appreciated that. And, uh, I appreciate it even now. It's always my hope that my four boys will find uh, for women who will be able to complement uh, their faith and strengthen their faith. I mean, that's that's an obvious thing, I think. Uh, by the same tokens, I dated a Christian and she was awful. And uh, I did marry a Christian. She was wonderful. Not you. I didn't mean her. No, no but I, <laughs> I I dated a Christian before and she was just an awful person. Uh, still is and and uh, and I'll tell her that if I ever see her, don't worry I'm not gossiping uh, but but uh I mean the fact of the matter is is that uh, is that it's a good idea, but again it's it's not necessarily something that is uh, dyed in the wool and that works, but I do understand it and as we read and continue reading there in first Corinthians seven um, i I think we'll see why. We'll see why that certainly is our tendency to try to uh, uh, to try to supplement, you know, with every and every way that we can, in and, and such great intentions. What's going on with regard to this idea and this topic? If you look there in First Corinthians seven twelve through fourteen, look at what Paul writes. After all that we've covered so far, he says, "To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if my any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever." and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they're holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. It's a very interesting uh, passage there to complement what Paul has already been saying. And again, he's outlining part of what this difficult struggle really is when we, when we regard uh, marriage and divorce. Now, we know who he's talked to, and here he's saying to the rest. Well, who are the rest? Why, the rest are all of those individuals thinking about maybe being married one day. Uh, the rest are all of those individuals perhaps engaged already to be married. You know, it's, it's, it's very important that we all understand that this is a good covenant. It is a common covenant to be had among humanity. And it is to be taken seriously. And he says, even to those that aren't married or haven't been divorced or aren't going through this situation, to all the rest, let's remember what we need to remember. And so we should appreciate what Paul is talking about here. Paul is being very specific. I said before, uh, when we started the Corinthian letter, he, he spends the first four chapters introducing the idea that they are divided and they shouldn't be. And then his focus gets very laser-like. And that's what, that's what makes it so difficult for me, especially to preach these. I mean, marriage and divorce is something that we all live with in our lives, good or bad. And, and we look at it and we see all of these things and it's so difficult to read how specific and how focused Paul is on it. But we have to, we have to read it. We have to appreciate what he's saying because it is difficult especially in societies like the one that Paul is preaching in, and especially in societies like ours. This is a a very real thing that could happen. Your son or daughter could marry an unbeliever. Uh, They could become an unbeliever because they marry an unbeliever. It's it's something that could happen. Uh, They also could uh, hopefully help others to become believers themselves and stay believers themselves. And uh, that would be the goal. That would be the hope. Uh, that should be uh, the confidence that we have with them, and that they have in themselves. Hopefully, that'll be the case. But it is very difficult. Um, we have, for lack of a better term, a patriarchal society here. If uh, if a woman married a man, she adopted the the religion of his household. That was expected. Whether he was Jewish. Uh, whether he was Christian or whether he was pagan okay whether he was uh, someone practicing uh, other religions of other of other nations or other places. Uh, and so again you have a congregation of individuals here where there are families, there are leaders that are exercising their will in a matter of dominance over those who may have been, Believers, but now are married to unbelievers or, or whatever um, combination you may see there. So let's remember that Paul also, as we read this, and, I, and I've seen this written down in commentaries and in articles and, and heard people say things like this, even in the church, unfortunately, that he's just giving his opinion. You know, whatever Paul says, I, not the Lord, he's not just giving his opinion, <laughs> Okay, this is, this is an apostle of the Lord. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, it amazes me that we have people, sometimes Christians, uh, sadly, who say, I believe in the, in the plenary verbal inspiration of the Bible. And what that literally means is I believe that every word that is written in the Bible is inspired by God, just like Paul wrote to Timothy. And almost in the same breath, they go, but Paul sometimes just gives his opinion. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You either believe in plenary verbal inspiration or you don't. Uh quit playing ping pong with the word of God, please. Okay? You either believe that Paul was inspired to say these things, or you do not. And I've had some people say, Well, what about that I not the Lord? Well, you know, the Lord when he was on the on the on the earth as we're reading uh valiantly in this morning classes. Those of you who might be missing the morning classes, man. You really should not do that. We're having an excellent, excellent class in, in John, and, uh, and the class is going on very well. The comments are wonderful. The teaching's wonderful. And I mean, we're just, we're going at this. Jesus was on the earth for a very short period of time, and he could not cover everything. So when Paul says, not the Lord, he's just basically saying, uh, if I understand verbal plenary inspiration correctly, he's just saying Jesus did not address this. When he was on the earth, like he did in Matthew 19, 9, with the the exception of divorce for fornication. He, he, He addressed that, but he doesn't address this that Paul is addressing. So he says, I, not the Lord. He's not saying he has less authority. Okay, and so we've got to be very careful of that. He's saying this is what the Holy Spirit demands. If Jesus were here right now, he would say the same thing. And we have to make sure we're not discounting that. Or cheating on that. So it's important that that we understand what Paul is saying here. Um, Paul is fulfilling his apostleship by inspiration. And the the Lord may not have spoken on this specifically, but still it is uh, that which Jesus himself promised. And just to kind of... um, and Jared's going to throw something at me. But if you go to John 16, just real quick. Uh, uh, <laughs> we do this sometimes, run over each other's toes, unfortunately. But if you look at John 16, verses 12 through 15, uh, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. Uh, Paul is being declared to by the Holy Spirit, and he is revealing exactly what we need to understand, uh, on a difficult issue here in, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Again, it's a very difficult struggle. Paul's not uh, discounting that. The Holy Spirit, God, is providing for that. And we should also appreciate that Paul is saying, don't divorce. You know, if uh, this is something, and like we said before, and we'll look at this again, divorce happens. Nobody doubts that. It's something, unfortunately, we cannot avoid. Uh, It happens a lot of times, but he's still saying that's not what should happen. Even in a situation like this, even when an unbeliever is married to a believer, if that unbeliever is content to stay with you, can you imagine how difficult a command that is? (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been married to an unbeliever or if you uh, have a family member or a loved one that was married to an unbeliever. But is it a struggle or not? Yeah. Yeah, it is a huge struggle. And Paul is saying here, but the covenant takes preeminence. The covenant is the most important thing. So we are all to remember that. If you have ever seen uh, an unbeliever and a believer married and the struggle that goes on with the faith between those two, it can get rough. It can get really, really rough. And, And so... That's what Paul's saying. Still, if they're content, you endure. You persevere. You you work towards the end result, which is faith for all. And, and that's the idea here. And it's just such a, a beautiful, really, thing to say. So wonderfully loyal and all-consuming. And he just says, do not divorce. Because he says marriage can provide a cleanliness and a holiness again a beautiful promise now remember uh, the covenant of marriage is from God to all humanity and that's what we need to remember here it's not just a, a chosen few in the church that's what he's telling the Christians there it's not just a chosen fruit uh, chosen few who happen to be Jewish at the time he's you know he's saying it's not about that, all created humanity is subject to this covenant. And this covenant has a purification to it that is necessary within it. It has, a, it has a purifying effect. If we let it have its work, it actually cleanses. Now, what he's not saying is that this is an autosave property for an unbelieving spouse. He's not saying that. He's not saying you save your spouse by being married to them but he says the covenant and the family is undefiled okay the the idea is there's no impurity there the the covenant is made uh, apart from belief or unbelief so as to create a unified covenant under God because it it came before the law of Moses and it came before the church. It Just like the faith of Abraham precedes the faith that is found in the law. So the covenant of marriage precedes the other covenants. And it's actually uh, so great and so pure in and of itself that it can keep a relationship and a family pure. That is a beautiful promise. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. And we need to remember that. However, we also need to remember that in spite of all of that, divorce does happen. Again, just like we said before, it happens. We've noticed this. uh, A marriage takes the conviction, the response of two people. If there is only one person fighting to keep that marriage together, that marriage is probably doomed to failure. Although, I have seen marriages last where there was only one (laughs) trying really hard to keep that together. Uh, And I have seen some pretty uh dedicated, very holy, pious people, in my opinion, that have been able to hold together a marriage in spite of some of the most incredible uh challenges against it. And so uh, uh even at times when I thought they shouldn't, I have to admit, even at times when I thought they should not keep this together, uh, it has been kept together. So it's just an, an amazing thing. And so uh, that can happen. But Paul understands this idea that it may not. Now if you look back with me at 1 Corinthians 7 and read verses 15 through 16. But if the unbeliever if the other if the unbelieving partner separates, excuse me, let it be so. In such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Uh, As a matter of fact, in the case that I was talking about, the sister quoted this passage to me. (laughs) And I could not argue with her. Because I I told her, I said, he's done this and he's done that and he's done this and he's done that. And she goes, how will I know? If I separate from him, how will I know if if he's saved or not? He might be saved. How do I know that? And I have met others that did the same thing. Why, Why your husband's terrible. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he's doing terrible things so I wait I wait on the power of God I keep my faith I keep my dedication I keep my own purity and I wait and I encourage and I will win that just blows me away or the rather God will win through me <laughs> that's just an amazing thing to say an amazing way to feel can you imagine the perseverance of that and so we just look at that and we see that. And that's what Paul's talking about here. How do you know whether you will save them? How do you know? Now this is something that God does, that God provides for. Just an amazing thing that Paul is writing here. and And he's using, again, laser-like, specific, and illustrative language that implies that marriage is never to be seen as servitude. And, uh, and we're going to, uh, talk about that more as, especially this evening. But the fact of the matter is, Paul is talking here about the idea that we should never see marriage as slavery. Now, we joke about that, don't we? Marriage, unfortunately, is the butt of many jokes, uh, where it really shouldn't be. We often make this mistake, um, You know, we'll call our spouse, at least I've heard men do it, the old ball and chain. Right? And and, you know, is that, is that, every time I hear that, I look at them and I go, hmm. Well, I got to go home to the old ball and chain. You know, is is that what you put on your Valentine's Day card? I love you so much, ball and chain. You know? I, I don't know that that's a very sweet, you know, that's not sweet terminology at all. It's actually kind of cold. It, it, it implies imprisonment, slavery, uh, servitude. You know, and Paul is saying, this is not about slavery. It's a very sad rendering, even though it may be comical. Um, uh, it's a sad rendering of slavery. And Paul is saying, you're not supposed to look at it that way. Uh, 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 an unbelieving spouse that's content to leave, you're not supposed to look at that and go, well, I just gotta stick with you no matter what, even if I have to live in the closet because I'm, I'm a slave to you. No! You don't, th- that's what Paul is saying. You don't have to think that way. You don't have to believe that. Uh, over the, it was at least a generation ago, it was a while back, I remember hearing as a kid, uh, brethren saying, well, you know, you know the the women that aren't supposed to leave the men, and the men aren't supposed to leave the women because they have to have that that conjugal. Uh, that that's what he's talking about. The slavery is that conjugal relationship, that sexual relationship. And you know, I'm like, huh? You know, no, I can't be married to you, but you just call me. You know, whenever you need me to be there, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, so Paul is not talking about that. Any of that. Paul is not talking about looking at marriage as a a slave state. And he says it's very important that we understand that. This covenant is not designed that way. And so divorce that is due to defiance of that unbelieving party, it simply must be endured. There's there's nothing you can do about it. I'll never forget that. I remember one of my brothers saying he was before the judge. And his wife was uh, filing for divorce against him, and he pleaded with the judge. He said, "I am not going to sign these papers. I do not want a divorce. I do not believe in divorce." You know, the judge looked at him and he said, "Bud, you're dreaming with your eyes open." And I looked at my brother and I said, "The judge told you that?" He said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "He said it was so cold and so cruel." You know, not even a well. I'm I'm glad you feel that way, and and you're a real you're a real sharp person for thinking that. But you know, not that he just looked at him and he said, "Sir, you're dreaming with your eyes open. Open this divorce is going to happen whether you want it to or not. That's true. That's the way the law of the land looks at it. That's the way it is. That's the way it's rendered. And so Paul understands that." He understands that the the unbelieving spouse especially can get cold and just walk away when he says you've got to endure it. But then look at what he says. Understanding that. In that understanding, we now can read forward a bit and see what else he says about that. Look at verses 17-24 through 24 with me. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at any time at his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called to the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he is called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. So, do not become slaves of men. Brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Notice that that Paul makes a very difficult illustration. He is not telling the believer married to the unbeliever that they are called to peace and they can be married again. He's not telling them that. There have been many... Who read this and teach that the call to peace there is an exception for remarriage? You know, in this passage, just the way uh, that it is taught, similarly in Matthew nineteen nine. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. That is not what he is teaching here. And there are those, even in the church, that claim this is the third exception, on par with the death of a spouse and with the exception found in Matthew nineteen nine. But that just simply isn't so. Instead, a divorce because of an unbeliever's departure must go back to what we read in verse 11. That's what he's saying. When we look back at verse 11 again, there in that passage, we read what Paul's intent was and it hasn't changed. Be reconciled or remain unmarried. That remaining is still the remaining he's talking about. Remain in the state that you were called. If your unbelieving spouse walks away from you, you may have to endure a divorce, but now you have to remain. And you have to live the life that you have been called into. And not look to change it. Just like someone who is circumcised doesn't have to be uh, uncircumcised. Or someone who is a slave doesn't have to look for their freedom unless they can find it. He said, that's the same thing. If you find yourself divorced, then that is the state that you're called in. And Paul is being very specific about it, telling them to remain as they are called. Now, the other side of this we learned in a previous lesson. This is also not authorization uh, that being baptized into Christ washes away your former spouses. That's also not the, uh, the teaching here either. This is not the focus of Paul in this place. What we know for sure and what we always know for sure is we are granted one marriage for life. We know that we know for sure that the death of a spouse is the exception to that, you know, inferences and implications aside, God has spoken clearly about his covenant's pure nature and purpose. And we also know that Jesus offered only one other exception. You don't really call—I don't call death an exception, <laughs> but it is. But the union is ended in death, and then Paul, and then uh, Jesus offers what He offers there in Matthew nineteen nine. There are nothing. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. There are no substitutes. There are no different things. So remember, Paul is talking about marriage. He's talking about divorce, as unfortunate as it is, must be endured in these cases. And he is speaking particularly to the betrothed. Now it's important that we remember that's who he's talking to here, because we're going to read uh, the rest of the verses and understand that particular focus in this passage. And he says now concerning the betrothed in verse 25, if you would look uh, with me at the rest of of the chapter there. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. That's a lot different phrase than what he said before. Okay, He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. What what an amazing passage. You know, we, we look at that And we conclude with that in this lesson and we read it. And what powerful advice. Now this definitely is a section that I would say contextually has the the evidence that that Paul is giving his good, Christian, apostolic, wise, (laughs) evidence-based advice to these individuals here. Uh, And this is advice that we need to understand in our context as well. And I think that's terribly important. Here is the passage for the betrothed. Here is the passage for those who are fiancés. Here is the, here is the passage for those who are dating, intending to look towards marriage. Here is the passage. Persecution can shake your faith. Paul is being very clear about that. And in our day and age, I was sitting here thinking, you know, uh, what do we have to deal with like they had to deal with? You know, I think there are many things in our day and age that could put our faith on hold, uh, challenge it, or even end it. And we have to think about things while we're dating, while we're engaged, while we're Getting ready to be married. You know, as much as we do in marriage, we have to think about what Paul says to the betrothed. Why is he writing this to them? You know, they were, what is it, 13, 15 years away from the time the Roman Empire would descend upon Jerusalem and lay it waste, right? And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, understands the times and the nature of the times. And these people living, and the 1st Corinthian letter is what, about 56, 57 AD, somewhere around there? And, and you've got coming in the future, 70 AD, whenever things are, the world was going to be turned on its head. Uh, Christians were going to suffer open persecution from the Roman Empire, even more than they were having to deal with now. And now we do not have to deal with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire looming closely in our future. But, what's here? What are many of the distresses that we have available to steal our gaze so that we can think about our faith? Parents, I think we need to talk to our kids about this. If you have friends, if you have loved ones who are dating, engaged, getting ready to be married, whatever the case is, even new in a marriage, they need to consider these things. But especially before. And I think that's why Paul is focusing here on the betrothed. You've known people that got married. Why did they get married? Do we ever ask ourselves why we want to be married? I think Paul is being very laser-like in his focus about this. Why exactly is it that you have to do this? In our day and age, some get married to rescue others. I call this the, the knight in shining armor myth. You know, I've had this discussion with my boys. You know, my boys, thank God, don't live in a fairly dysfunctional—we got a little dysfunction in there, but but not in a dysfunctional house, right? Uh, you know, Dad doesn't come in rolling drunk. Uh, mom is not on depression meds. You know, the, these things are not going on in our family. Thank the Lord, we have we have escaped those things to this point. Hopefully, always. And so, in spite of who they are, they're pretty good catches. You know, and I think that I think that, that there are girls that are attracted to them for that. You know, that's not good enough. And I tell them that's not good enough. You are not a knight in shining armor. You are not the one that can rescue somebody. You are going to be in the midst of that if you marry this person. I think that's fair advice. Does that mean you shouldn't? No, it doesn't mean you shouldn't marry, but it does mean that you shouldn't think that you're the knight in shining army because I'm going to tell you something, you're not. We all need encouragement. We all need uh, faith. And we all need the reinforcement of that faith. And we all need good advice. You're not going to be able to walk through life bulletproof and nothing can touch you and save her or him from everything. Okay, that's a myth and you're not going to be able to do that. And some marry because of the family that they can inherit. I call this the refuge of a better family myth. I know that there are people that go, man, I want to marry him or I want to marry her because their family doesn't stink like my family does. And I would love to marry into that family. I've gone. You know, we we talk about mother in laws and father in laws, right? I joke about my mother in law all the time, and I have the best mother in law you can have. But I hate not being able to joke about it, so I joke about her. You know, she's just wonderful. How many of you have had mother in laws that, mm-hmm. father in laws, mm-hmm, not so great? You know, and you you you're there, and you see that, and. I think sometimes we marry into better families just so we don't have to be in ours. Is that a reason for a marriage? No. (laughs) Can you still do it? Of course you can. You can still be married. Again, Paul's not saying don't be married. He's saying think about it. I've known people that married because it gave them some kind of advantage. You know? You know, Buddy Payne's got a daughter, and I'd love to be married to Buddy Payne's daughter so I could be in Buddy Payne's family. Is that the reason? Is that the reason to marry that that person? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Who wouldn't want to be in Buddy Payne's? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, but, but I'm just saying, is that the reason for being married? No, of course not. But sometimes we will talk ourselves into that. And then, of course, there are the things we read in the books. The things we see in the magazines. The TV shows that we think. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have talked to young people and they look at me, but isn't that the way things are supposed to be? And I tell them, yeah, 45 minutes on on your favorite TV show on a Tuesday night, that may be the way it works out, but that's not real life. That is not real life. What you read in your books honey or sir (laughs) is fantasy it's idealized that's not the way it works this kid at school who thinks he's a homosexual still hasn't talked to me and i'm dying for this conversation with him but i can't initiate it because i just want to tell him what you see on tv what you see here reading the stories that's not the lifestyle that you're gonna have that lifestyle that you want is filled with drugs and violence and dysfunction and you are it's promiscuity and you're going to have to live with that. I only have to mention sin. So I haven't had that conversation, and it's killing me. You know, because you know, I just uh, I, gotta, I gotta let it let it come on its own, you know, sometimes. But it's just incredible. It's incredible. These are the things we have to teach. It's not about romantic notions and and the worst i think not the worst but one of the ones that really scare me is i think people get married to erase their past to try to erase something that that has been awful in their past well my my first marriage was junk so i want to be married so i can just forget about all that let me tell you the scars don't go away they just turn into something else you know, you cannot replace how terrible something has been with the prospect of something that could be better. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Now, does that mean you shouldn't be married? Of course not. You know, of course not. And that last one there, some may erase or replace a bad, a bad past. I can't tell you how many times. I, well, No, my daughter got pregnant now she's got to marry the guy what yeah there's a basis for marriage you're able to procreate no that is not the basis for marriage no so when somebody if anybody ever comes to me and goes well she's pregnant so I guess I got to marry I'm going to be like no you have to be a father you can't run from that anymore you're a dad but you you want that to be the basis of your marriage Mm mm-mm Now, people can respond to other things. They can say, well, of course I don't want that to be the basis of my marriage, but I'm dedicated to the other things too. Well, that's different. But most of the time, we focus on these things, don't we? If we're being honest, we allow one of these terrible, terrible reasons to be the reason, the foundation of why we enter into God's covenant of marriage with somebody else. And it's automatically deficient when we allow that to happen. Can we overcome the deficiencies? Of course. God can, through us. But we have to be careful. And Paul makes a lot of reiterations here. Again, he talks, as we read that passage there, about self-control. In verses 36-38 through again, that's what he says. Let them marry if, right? If his passions are strong. Yeah, I mean, we don't want this to be fornication. We don't want fornication to be in the marriage. So like we said before, marriage can be an antidote for that. But the other things must be there. Marriage must not only be about the outlet for your sexual desire. It can't be that. And, And Paul's, definitely teaching about that but too often it is just that the marriage covenant is about what we will do for one another and that's why we're going to explore that in this evening's lesson the marriage covenant is not about slavery it's not about what i can get out of something it's not about how i can make my life better The marriage covenant is always about how we can help one another in faith. What we will do for one another, for purity. That's what it's about. And that's what we need to learn. And that's what we need to teach. One man and one woman married for life is God's marriage law and covenant. Paul reiterates that in verses 39 through 40. But look at what he says. I just wish that people could live on their own. He just understands human nature, doesn't he? By the Holy Spirit, by experience. Paul understands human nature. Because you can put one Christian with another Christian, but what if they both have weak faith? That's not going to be good, probably. And you just have to consider all of these things. And we always have to consider all of these things. Not because of what we want them to be. Not because of what we think they should be. Plenty of people have been angry with me just for reading passages like this to them. I just don't like that. And I wish it were different. Well, okay, so do I. (laughs) But it's not and we are servants of the lord if indeed we are servants of the lord and you may want it to change i may want it to change i may wish this was clear i may wish that wasn't there whatever the case may be we can wish 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 all we want the fact of the matter is god has made a covenant and that's what it is and that's what it's for and again if we are in that covenant any of us sitting here today let's remember these rules let's remember these things that can produce the purity of that relationship. And if we're thinking about that, or moving toward that, or working towards that in some way, please keep that in mind. Please remember and value God's design. No matter what happens in your life or mine, no matter what others may say, or others may think, always value God's design. And God's design for you and for me is that we would be faithful to. And so with that, the lesson is to all of us. And if there is anyone here this morning that has not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you have the opportunity to do that. Please don't wait another moment. And if you are a Christian and you have fallen short of that, not glorifying God in the way that you should in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships, in your faith, whatever it is, then understand you have an advocate. And all you have to do is turn to Him. If you have any need, please let it be known while we stand.